Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven human beings, companies, and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a tremendous economic fallout, leaving tens of millions out of work and struggling to afford adequate food and also pay the rent. This makes the work of today's guest, Grayston President and CEO Joe Kenner, even more important. Joe oversees Grayston, a nonprofit social justice enterprise serving Southwest Yonkers, New York, by creating job opportunities and providing services to enable self-sufficiency. The organization offers employment via its for-profit Grayston Bakery, which many of you are probably familiar with, especially if you ever eat Ben and Jerry's and those delicious little brownies inside of the ice cream, and also workforce development and community wellness programs that aim to better communities by meeting collective social, environmental, and financial goals. There are literally millions of people looking for work who can't find a job for numerous reasons, even in non-pandemic times, a criminal history, limited education or qualifications, lack of work experience, just to name a few. Grayston Baker's open hiring approach gives them a chance replacing scrutiny with trust and in doing so transforming lives and breaking the cycle of poverty, one person and one job at a time. So much of its model has been adopted by other companies like The Body Shop and others who are also giving people a chance where they didn't have one earlier. Joe, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Aaron, thank you for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. Same here, same here. So I know you're relatively new to the organization, but maybe you can just kind of take us back to its founding and the very unique model that I should add was recently highlighted and at the start of an HBR article in January of 2021. That is the ultimate being able to be cited as a case study, as a referenceable, as a testimony in terms of a business model that works for both social impact as well as for profit in HBR. That's like everyone's goal. It is like the Oprah book club <laughs> for businesses. So why don't we start at the beginning? Just tell us a little bit about the founding of Grayson Bakery. And also I'd like to hear a little bit more about the partnership with Ben and Jerry's. Oh, absolutely. Well, you mentioned I'm new to Grayson. I don't think I'm so new I'll be here for three years later this month. I All right. Enjoyed You're not new anymore. Yeah, yeah, not new anymore. I joined as Vice President of Programs and Partnerships back in February 2018. But I was very intrigued by Grayston and the whole story behind how it got started. And I like to say, you really can't understand Grayston unless you understand the founder, Bernie Glassman, because everything flows from there. Just what motivated Bernie, how everything came together, whether it was the bakery itself, the partnership with Ben and Jerry's, and of course, the open hiring model. So Bernie's main motivation, and Bernie's an eclectic guy. He passed away the November of the year I started, and I unfortunately never got a chance to meet him. But Bernie was a Jewish guy from Brooklyn who became Zen Buddhist monk. He was an aeronautical engineer, became social entrepreneur. We call them Jubus. <laughs> I've got a lot of friends who are Buddhist and Jewish. And there's a lot of similarity, actually. Yes. They can coexist very peacefully. <laughs> so that's Bernie in a nutshell. But Bernie and this Zen Buddhist community, they had a place in the Riverdale section of the Bronx. They lived at the Grace Mansion. And how they supported themselves was by baking cakes. At that time, in the early 80s, Bernie noticed just how challenging an environment it was. In that area, if you know the geography, you know, Yonkers is very close to Riverdale and high unemployment at that time. AIDS was at its height. And Bernie's main motivation was 
how do we alleviate poverty? How do we make an impact in this community? How do we change it? So that was always his force. He would see people on the street who were homeless, people who were looking for jobs that couldn't find them because maybe they had a criminal background or they were homeless, whatever the issue was, they were dealing with recovery. And that's what motivated Bernie. So he would literally, as people were trying to find work or whatever, he would literally pull them off the street and say, hey, do you want to work? you want to learn a trade? You can help us by baking cakes here in the Grayston Mansion in the Riverdale section of Bronx. And that's how open hiring, that was kind of the genesis for it, like literally pulling off these the underserved, the underprivileged, the underrepresented, and bringing them into an environment where they can learn a trade, they can learn a skill and earn some money, obviously, to support themselves and their family. And that was really the genesis of how open hiring got started. It wasn't about, hey, I got an idea, let's do open hiring. It was just, how do we alleviate poverty? How do we create thriving communities? And correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no kind of business model for him to look at and scale. It's not like he was reading about something like this somewhere else. This was truly something that he formed and organically scaled from the start in his head. And again, being community focused first. Yeah, it was it was a mixture of having a community focus, a mixture of entrepreneurial spirit, a mixture of serendipity, to be quite honest, as, especially as we start to talk about the relationship with Ben and Jerry's. It was just someone trying to solve a problem. And just at a very basic level, he saw it one job, one person at a time. And that's how that, like I said, it was the genesis for open hiring, pulling people off the streets and giving them an opportunity in a very non-judgmental way. Yeah. And how and when did the partnership with Ben and Jerry's come about? Because I feel like that was a breakthrough moment. Yes. In terms of credibility, in terms of distribution, in terms of expansion, giving more people, obviously, opportunities to work as well. I got to tell you, it was more than a breakthrough moment. So that occurred later in the 80s, I want to say like 88, 89, where Bernie met Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield at a social ventures conference. I believe it was in Colorado. They literally went for a walk in the woods to talk about how they could work together. And again, at that time, we were making cakes or whatever. We weren't really in this business yet. And they figured out something that they could do together was to make the cookie portion of an ice cream sandwich for Ben and Jerry's. So we had no background in that. We had no equipment for that. Barney literally invested every penny of Grayston's dollars into this new procedure. And we shipped a box, shipping a shipment of this cookie to the facility in Vermont for Ben and Jerry's. But for whatever reason, the cookies didn't survive the shipping process and they kind of just melded together. So it was just a big slab of chocolate stuff. <laughs> and someone, when they open it up and they get it in Vermont, they're like, all right, what do we do with this stuff now? And I don't know who it was, but someone had the idea of just chopping it up and throwing it into chocolate ice cream. And hence you have chocolate fudge brownie. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So I didn't realize that the original idea was to make an ice cream sandwich using Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then Grayson would make the sandwich part, but it was because of a shipping mishap or lack of planning that actually, again, serendipity meant to be. Absolutely. I think the term in Hebrew is beshrekt. Sherek? <laughs> I'm learning a lot of Hebrew. Hopefully my rabbi, great. yeah, my rabbi's not going to listen to this. My cantor does listen to, listen to this podcast. That's incredible. What a great story. I didn't realize that was the derivation of the brownies inside of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Well, if you fast forward it now, we're in their top 10 flavors, three of which are Grayston brownies. So you have chocolate fudge brownie. You have half baked, which is my personal favorite. That's yes. number one. Yes. And then you have brownie batter core, which is a good flavor as well. But you also had other flavors like Netflix and chill, 
Justice Remix, which are all top sellers. And then that probably helped pave the way for a partnership with Whole Foods as well. Yeah, Whole Foods and, and others. I mean, we truly see ourselves as being a premier ingredients company for companies like Ben & Jerry's or other manufacturers, but also selling the single-serve brownies in places like Whole Foods and online. If you just go to grace.org, you can order a box for yourselves. We had a very big year last year in terms of corporate gifting. Uh, so we continue to get the word out however we can, whether it's through Ben & Jerry's, through our online gifting and going on podcasts like this. So you're like the perfect person for this job because you have this super cool background where <laughs> you've been in business, <laughs> yeah. you have your MBA, you also worked in food in that you worked for Pepsi. And I know you weren't necessarily like in product development, but you were in the underbelly of the business and how it works. You were inside of pricing architecture and whatnot. And then for a number of years, you went into government and you worked for the Department of Social Services in Westchester County for, I guess, eight years, almost 10 years, which is challenging. So you have this like background of understanding the need, community need and social services, but also understanding how to run a business. And you put those two together and here you are. This is, again, this, <laughs> not just serendipity. It's meant to be. Absolutely. Was this always the plan for you? I mean, obviously it's this whole heart head thing, but this is the perfect combination of head and heart for you. And it's about just being a continuous learner, Aaron. And I say this when I spoke to business school students and people I mentor, don't say you ever have a bad experience in the workplace. There are learning experiences. When I first went to college, Williams College, I didn't know anything about the jobs that I would later hold. I did not go into college thinking, hey, I'm going to become an underwriter for insurance. I'm going to become a risk analyst at Lehman Brothers, or I'm going to work in pricing architecture at Pepsi. And certainly didn't know that there's this thing called a social enterprise and B Corps. I value all of those experiences. Life is a journey. And you learn about yourself. You learn about what you like and what you don't like. But all of the experiences that I had, I have to tell you, they really fashioned me into who I am now. And I don't think I could have written a better job description for either president CEO role that I have now or when I first joined Greyston as vice president of programs and partnerships, because I am using everything that I've learned over 15, 14 years in corporate America and my 10 years in elected and appointed office and the relationships that I built up over that time, too. I mean, they're serving me well now. So it was a great experience. Can you make a straight line from my first job to this one? No, but I can tell you that everything that I learned from each of those, I'm using today. Then you just enjoy the journey and just learn as much as you can as you go through your jobs. And you're going to find out things about yourself that you didn't know. But what I did know is I do want to serve a higher purpose. I don't just want to make more widgets or increase ROI by X percent. I actually want to, yes, obviously make a business successful, but really how to just change the whole dynamic and the narrative of society as a whole. That's very important to me. And I get to do that every day <laughs> here at Grayston. Yeah. And, and I mean, open hiring is one of so many different types of tools that we can and should be using to help address inequity and provide opportunities for those who are living in the margin. I also think of like universal basic income and things like that. But what industries does open hiring work best for and what industries possibly can't do it? And I, I ask because, again, going back to the HBR article, after 
bestowing a ton of praise and well-deserved and earned praise on Grayston, they then talk about the body shop. And the body shop asks three questions. They say, are you legal to work? Can you carry at least 50 pounds? And can you stand on your feet for eight hours? That is it. And if you can do those three things, you're hired. I mean, I'm probably simplifying it. So what is the Grayston criteria? And also what industries are really primed for this and which maybe not so much? I would first say, and I know this is a podcast, so if people can't see me showing you our list. I can see it. For (laughs) how people will put their name on the list at the bakery, but it's the same questions. Are you legally authorized to work in the U.S.? How'd you hear about Grayston? This job requires you to lift 50-pound bags and stand for 12 hours a day. If that's you, fill out your name, phone number, email, you put your name on the list. And that's literally one page. That's it. That's literally one page. And it also has areas, if you're interested in some of our job training programs that are nonprofit check and somebody will reach out to you. But literally one page, your name, contact information, that's all it takes. And the rest, as I say, is history. But in terms of who this is for, and I love that question because I say it's for anyone who wants to give hope to somebody who has been underserved, somebody who is looking for a job. Clearly, I'm not asking a JP Morgan Chase to do this in their private client division of their bank because obviously you need somebody who understands retirement or investments, but any job could be an open hiring job in any industry. If you really think about it, who's your front desk person? Who's your person doing your maintenance, your janitorial services, your landscaping? If you are a body shop, yeah, you might have a distribution center. You might have a retail operation, but I would first start with, are you motivated to give an opportunity to someone who needs it? Someone who's willing to work. And it's not just kind of like set it and forget it. If you're motivated to do that, then you also have to put in the time to make it successful. It's not just suddenly they're going to be successful. You need to train them. You need to mentor them. You need to partner with them. You need to give them warmth and encouragement and sometimes tough love. Like all those things have to be part of it. And I would say, and we say this is open hiring, but what you just outlined, Aaron, how is that different than any other business? Every employee should feel like they're supported. We should certainly provide training so that our employees can be even more successful than they are today, so we can make them even more successful tomorrow. People should feel safe in their environment. We've learned that through the whole pandemic. People should feel like they belong to something, like there is something more than what I'm doing here, whether it's making brownies, making widgets, selling beauty products, like there is a social mission behind this. There's a purpose driving this organization. How is that different than any other organization? I think any all people want to feel that way, which is why I believe what we are doing is really, we're helping HR evolve in terms of how we look at our employees, how we look at our organization and our purpose and our mission as, as an organization. Clearly, as going back to the earlier part of our discussion, our organization is motivated and how do we transform lives and communities. That's at the end of the day, that's what we do here. Yes, we make awesome brownies for Ben and Jerry's Unilever and Whole Foods, but it's really about how do we change lives and elevate humanity. It's even bigger than that. That's very important because that's real and it's tangible, but there's also this level of awareness driven through empathy of being in someone else's situation in someone else's shoes. So it feels like ages ago, but we had an organization called Puppies Behind Bars on our podcast. They're actually a Westchester-driven organization because a, oh, yeah, a lot of the work that's done is done at the women's prison in Bedford. And in that case, prisoners are actually raising guide dogs for those who are either first responders or those who are vets who suffer with PTSD and or both. 
And the healing, the level of healing that is like a daisy chain of healing that happens among various cohorts and cohorts that oftentimes don't necessarily. So imagine, you know, you are a police officer who's injured in the line of duty, and now you're going into a prison working with an inmate who's actually raising for two years this beautiful soul, this puppy, this dog, who's now going to help you recover and be whole again. It's unbelievable. And I think that those types of models where empathy is at the center and it helps the serve community. And at the same time, there's a kind of a multi-stakeholder purpose. This is what we need to be talking more about. And most jobs actually, and I think about most jobs, at least in the US, don't require high technical skills or college degrees or working spreadsheets and figuring out high yield bonds and things like that. So why do you think more and more companies are not adopting this? Or do you think, is this a trend that is no longer going to be a trend, but it's going to be more of something that is accepted and is integrated into society as businesses continue to scale and grow? The times are forcing businesses to think differently. So whether it's COVID and the pandemic, Armand Arbery, George Floyd, all of the social unrest of the past year, businesses are being forced. And also just, I mean, businesses are driven by consumers. Consumers are demanding the products that they buy, where they direct their dollars. What is the purpose behind it? I don't just want to shop at a grocery store. I want to shop at a place where I'm getting clean food or it's supporting a larger mission. I think all of that's driving it. And we've seen, we mentioned the body shop, but there's Rhino Foods in Vermont. There's Arbonne in California, Giant Eagle in Pennsylvania. We've got 21 pilots going in the Netherlands through a partner called the Start Foundation that's doing open hiring in different industries, smaller scale, but lots of opportunities being offered to folks. Overall in the U.S., I think it's about 1,200 opportunities through our pilots that we've extended open hiring to. So businesses are understanding now that they need to step up their game. And why some may be a little hesitant, this is new. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I mean, this is a radically different way to bring someone into your organization. To tell a traditional HR person, nope, you're not going to do interviews. No, we're not going to do any background checks. Just bring them in and we'll train them. It's a radically different idea for the business, but we've been doing it since 1982. And where can it go wrong? Like, what are the things to watch out for? I don't like to say goes wrong. I mean, this is... What are the challenges? How about that? (laughs) First of all, I mean, this is manufacturing. So let's start there. 12 hours a day, it's a bakery, it's hot. You're lifting 50 pound bags of sugar and flour. But also people are not just your worker. They're mother or father, they have other issues that have happened in their personal life. You know, as VPGM at the bakery says, there are other distractions in people's lives. So that comes to work at times. And we will do our very best. And I know you sat on the board of WJCS. We actually have someone from there who serves as what we call an employment pathmaker at the bakery, helping folks with those issues, whether it's recovery, whether it's finding housing, whether it's child support, child care, but helping folks with those issues. And sometimes there are just some amazing stories that get told of success. And sometimes we just can't help everybody. And that's the downside to the jobs. Like someone like me, I want to see that transformation take place. But at the end of the day, we are still a business. We still need to provide brownies to our customers. We still need to turn a profit. We still need to adhere to goods manufacturing practices. So, but if a person is not able to do that, then unfortunately we do have to part ways. And that's the challenge. This is not an easy job. That's in every business. That's not unique to your business, but what might be more unique and the pathmaker. Talk about that if you can. 
So that was an innovation that we implemented probably five or six years ago. And we noticed as we're bringing in folks, they may not last past the first week or a couple of weeks after. And where we realized that it was because of all of those outside issues that traditionally HR would probably not address, which HR department is going to help you find an apartment, which HR is going to help you find childcare services or help you deal with your recovery issues or work with your local department of social services. That's not a typical HR function, which is why I think this is the next evolution of it. So that is what this person's job is, working hand in hand with our HR director in a confidential way to help folks deal with all of those issues. Because at the end of the day, I want you to be successful both professionally, but also personally, because I know that the personal does impact your professional life to some extent. And we just want to make sure that as a community, going to our whole stakeholder concept, that we're making the right investments in areas that are good for us, but it's also good for the employees and their families and their communities. We take for granted sometimes in an office environment, we have the buddy system and mentors and you have HR, you have employee assistance programs and this incredible healthcare, which obviously needs work, but it's something, it's more than what most people have. But what you're talking about, none of those structures had existed. So that's really the job of a pathmaker. And, and unlike EAP, this is someone you're talking to face-to-face. It's very personal, almost on a case management basis. And they're working with you as an individual. It's not some cookie cutter approach. They're actually working with you on it as an individual and they're getting to know you to support you. And we want to make sure that we can do that to the best of our ability. But again, it starts with you saying, hey, I want to be successful, but I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? And we'll try our best. And in terms of kind of both economics and broader inequities, how has COVID and the pandemic shaped the needs that you're seeing and your role over the past year, year and a half? I would say, I wrote a piece probably not too long after the George Floyd incident, because I was thinking about this as companies were putting out their statements and contributing to nonprofits. And I was like, well, what do we need to do as Grayston? And the light just switched on. I was like, you know what? This is why we were founded. This solidifies why Grayston- It's what you do. (laughs) It's It's what what you need to do. It's what you do. I don't need a diversity and inclusion strategy. I don't need to contribute to any. I just need to double down on what we've been doing and talk about Grayston more and how we've been doing it. And I say we're the picture of diversity and inclusion, both from the traditional hiring standpoint, as well as the open hiring. This is a very diverse organization, and it's just part of our DNA to be inclusive. It bears it out in terms of how this place looks from the leadership to the board, to our bakers, to the folks in the foundation. It's a diverse organization, and it solidified why we're here. The events of this past year solidifies why we're here. I mean, as long as you have these needs, there will always be a Grayston. So let me ask you this. Again, you're in such a unique position, given your background, having worked in kind of a corporate environment, having then worked for the government and social services, and now seeing those two worlds as a black man, how would you, if I kind of, let's say a year from now, or even now, and no one wants to do this because you're doing a great job in your current role, but let's say I teleported you into a traditional brand environment. You go back to Pepsi or somewhere else and you look around and you're like, shit, they're struggling with DE&I and their struggle is, sure, I think it's more complicated and they are in multiple lines of business, but what's your advice to brands like that and others 
on how they should tackle this, just from what you've seen, what you've experienced in the role that you're in now? I would say, look, as business leaders, we're problem solvers. So I don't think there is any problem that is too big for a business leader to solve. If we can't solve it ourselves, you figure out a way to bring in others to collaborate with and answer. I love your optimism. Love it. I'm an optimist. I'm hopeful. However, <laughs> you have to be intentional. You've got to start there. It's like, what am I really trying to solve here? Do I want to solve it? And then if the answer is yes, okay, how do I know if I'm successful? And what are the metrics that we're going to use to measure success? Are we going to say we're going to grow our employee or people of color employee base by X percent over this amount of time? What jobs, what positions, what assessment am I willing to do in my own organization to say if we're even ready for this? But it's got to start with intentionality and it's got to finish with follow through would be my answer. If you don't want to be intentional, just say that. Give the money to Grayston and we'll take care of it. But people will respect you more if you do that as opposed to the purpose washing. I call it the black and brown washing, whatever you want to call it, green washing. To me, that's just... It's credentialing too. You see it on LinkedIn. You see it a lot. It makes me more of a... Someone told me I'm not a cynic, but it does make me more cynical when I see that because we've been going through these cycles. I can go back to Rodney King in 1991, 92. It's like, we keep saying the same things over and over, but we never seem to actually address. We, we treat symptoms and we treat these symptoms with these statements and with the giving to this nonprofit and then walking away and looking for the next cause du jour. Just say, are you willing to address the root cause of what we keep talking about here, which is dealing with the underserved and the underrepresented and helping folks at that extreme end find opportunity? You know, it's like 10 million people, I believe, that has some level of a barrier to employment. That's a huge swath of our employment base. I mean, here in Yonkers, we're, we're at 8% unemployment. And I guarantee you, it's double digits if you look at it by the zip codes that we're in. How do you address that? <laughs> and let's figure out how do we address that and make those folks successful because those are the folks that aren't being talked about. I mean, we got to pay attention to the middle skill jobs. Absolutely. People like ourselves, yep, got to make sure folks are being taken care of. But there is a group of folks that actually want to work But for whatever reason, they have these barriers. And it's how do we tear those barriers down and equip those folks to get to the next level? And if you're going to be intentional about that, then you're on the right track. But if not, don't try and pretend as if you are. (laughs) I'm glad you mentioned the intentional intentionality and deliberate nature that's needed. Because so when I talk about DE&I and I deal with clients, I've got a couple of different worlds and in the agency world, let's just say. I'm like, congratulations. Okay. So you're more diverse. You've hired a more diverse populace, but that's not enough. And I think the harder part, quite frankly, is the I part in many ways. It's how do you actually provide an environment that is inclusive, it's empowering, and you provide a pathway to progress and performance and success for your new employee base, which is more diverse, happy for you, happy, happy. But exactly. how do you then, how do you get to the eye? And that's really, I think, the next big challenge for these companies. Otherwise, to your point, it's just, I'll say it, you're not saying it. It's just a <laughs> bunch of bullshit and credentialing. <laughs> and it's over-indexing on it saying, oh yeah, it's the issue of the moment and we need to be woke like everyone else when in fact, they're really not. And that's a good point because I won't mention the company, but there was a, I read, this was last year, a company, they were going to grow their black employee base by, I forgot, it was a very high percentage because the current percentage was so low. And my first question was, why is your percentage so low? Like people get excited about what you want to grow. So it's 2023, let's make up their trajectory. But why is your percentage so low? 
And even if you brought in that amount tomorrow, would they stay? And if they stayed, would they get promoted? <laughs> you got to start with the beginning. Like, why is it so low to begin with? Because that's where the real problem is. Problem's not that you don't have that population. The problem is there's something about how you're hiring. There's something about how people feel when they get in. Because when you look at the, particularly this company, you look at the board and you look at the senior manager, and I was like, there is something amiss here that you're not really talking about. So before we even have these ambitious racial targets, let's just figure out what kind of a culture we have now. 100% agree. Small pivot just for a second. So Grayson's a B Corp. has been a B Corp since Actually, it's an OG B Corp. It's like, I think since 2008. I mean, 2012. Early, 2012. Okay. That's still, that's a <laughs> First long... B Corp in New York State, by the way. Really? Yes. Cool. That's amazing. So I've had B Corp on the show and I've had plenty of B Corp companies on the show. And I've had plenty of companies that are still B Corp-like, but just they're like, hell no, I'm not going through that process. <laughs> Deckers is an example. It's a rigorous process, I can tell you. It is just... Tell me why the process is worth it and why it's so important. It's again, it's what people are looking for. So I boil it down to this triple bottom line, our governance structure. And if you ever sit through one of our board meetings, we talk through all of these things. Obviously, there's the financial piece. So we have to be successful financially. But then it's looking at the social impact that we've had. So how many people have we hired? How much do they make on average? We're well above the minimum wage. We did a study looking at the MIT livable wage study, we our folks make on average 15 to 16% above the livable wage in New York State, which is incredible. We've promoted folks throughout our organization. 25% of our employees at the bakery have either come from our nonprofit or they were once an apprentice. So we look at all of those social impact metrics, but also environmental as well and transparency. If you ever look at the B Corp, assessment. It's rigorous. And it goes through all of those different things of governance, of transparency, financial, supply chain, everything, everything. No one ever reaches the pinnacle of it. Like you're always, it's about how can we be better? And again, reinforcing this idea of stakeholder capitalism. And that's what it's really all about. It's just how can we do more for our employees, do more for the environment, do more for the communities that we serve, as well as grow the business. Because I always say it's not either or, it's both and. I'm equally focused on profit just as much as I am on our social impact and what we do in our community and for the people we serve. So it's a part of the stakeholder capitalism mantra, where there's, can you call it conscious capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, whatever. We're just out to be purpose-driven and mission-driven. It's just part of our DNA. And we were doing it before it came out. Before it became popular and a thing. My last question is just, how is it that you dealt with COVID from the onset almost a year ago through to today and keeping people employed, keeping the doors open, the lights on? It's hard. I don't care what size business you are and what business you're in. Having gone through it, even in my own core business on the professional services side, I would never want to relive that ever again. I never cried so much. And I was never more terrified and focused on survival. Like my amygdala was like in overdrive. When I reflect back, I mean, you have to remember, I was appointed president and CEO in April 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so forget COVID, but I was going through and still going through a reorganization, trying to get my So wait, so were you like, I thought you guys liked me. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy because I'm doing a meeting with the search committee on Zoom and things like that. So it was just a weird time. But personally, I think I managed covid very well. My family was safe and healthy. I was safe and healthy. The challenge for me, and 
the things that kept me up at night was just our people. I mean, there was just so much uncertainty, so much fear and anxiety surrounding it. People were worried about their families. At one point in time, Yonkers, particularly our zip code where we're located, was ground zero in Westchester County for COVID cases as well as deaths. So that's what worried me. And it's like, what happens if this takes out our entire bakery? And I have to say, we operated from the moment of Cuomo's pause order till today. We never stopped because we were an essential business. And you have a few quarantines here and there, but all of our people are safe. All of our people are healthy. And kudos to the team at the bakery who kept it going. And we had some tough days because at one point in time, it was just two people on my executive team, myself and the VPGM, Rich Jamesley at the bakery. It was just two of us kind of running this whole organization until I got people in here because I was doing a restructuring. But it was tough. It was really tough. There was a lot of anxiety to have to, Rich have to go on the floor and talk about the protocols that we're implementing and answering questions about how people may or may not feel safe and what we're doing to protect them. We had to shut down part of the foundation for a while because not everybody was essential and we were trying to get the place retrofitted with you know PPE and staggering people's schedules. That was a tough period for us, but we're here. I would come into the office every day just to support Rich and the team. There was a time where I didn't even go to the bakery because I just didn't know. So we just wanted to follow all safety protocols. But that team, and I always say, the team that was once considered unemployable or not job worthy were deemed essential throughout this entire pandemic. That's beautifully said. And are you having, is there any hesitancy amongst your team now in terms of wanting to get the vaccine? It's a mixed bag, I would say, in terms of folks. Some folks are just worried about the side effects. Some folks are just, from the Black community perspective, we don't have a good history with vaccines. So think about Tuskegee. But I will get it. And if I have to take a picture and put it in our newsletter just so that folks can feel comfortable. And I hate flu shots and all this stuff, but I understand the need to do this. And I will get it. We will have it arranged for all of our employees to get it if they want to get it, because it's just so important. I mean, there's so many misses from our former administration, and it's not just distribution that was a problem, but I think we missed on public education and communication, especially in marginalized communities and in cities and black and brown communities. And now we're kind of having to catch up because that hesitancy is real. It is absolutely real. You see it every day. And I'm hopeful that we'll be able to overcome that and get to herd immunity and save more lives, but it's hard. And just so people understand, Yonkers, I don't know the stats, but I think Yonkers is like the second most populous city after New York City in all of New York State. It's definitely up there. 200,000 people live here. It's not small. Joe, listen, first of all, I think it's my 80th recording or something like that. Never once have I ever said to anybody, next time a board seat opens up, I'd love to be on your board. But I'm telling you, you've heard it here. If it opens up. I'd like to interview because we'd love, love to, to bring you in, in any way we can. We'd love to have you be a part of the journey on it. I'm in awe of it. I'm in awe of you and your career and what Grayston's been able to do. And I'm actually, quite frankly, looking forward to more and more Grayston's in the future in different industries, not just baking and baked goods. But I can't wait to continue to watch you and the bakery and the community that you serve continue to kind of prosper and grow and live the life that they deserve. So thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. And to the folks who want to learn more about what they can do and do it like Grayston, just go to grayston.org. We'd love to have you be a part of this journey. 
And that's G-R-E-Y-S-T-O-N. Dot org. Dot org. Greyston, not Greystone, which is my pet peeve. <laughs> yeah, well, when you look at it quickly, you're like, what? Yeah, you have to stop yourself. <laughs> but Greystone.org, we'd love to have you be a part of this journey. Awesome. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quitkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of companies, organizations, and people who make it their mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing production team, including Lindsay Hand, Dara Cawthron, Julie Strickland, and Nina Valdez. Learn more about our show and sponsorship opportunities at brandonpurpose.com. Learn more about our host at aaronquicken.com. 